Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is this the real life or is this just another fictional reality? Hello everyone, my name is James. I'm from The Puzzle Maker. And I'm your host this evening on Fictional Reality. Thank you for joining us. I hope you're having a lovely afternoon, evening. Um, this week I have a very good friend of mine, Jack Ford Morgan. He's the director and lead game designer for Half Monster Games. We have a nice discussion about how he designs his experience, what he thinks experiences are. Some nice handy tips and tricks, very practical um, methods toward the end there of uh, how game designers can design their own experiences, good places to start and whatnot. And we, of course, meander and tangent and go off in different directions while we're talking. So it's just a very conversational piece, this one. Uh, just a good chat with an old friend of mine. One thing that Jack and I do have in common, um, and that we have a lot of creative overlap, and I think it's why we work so well together in the various projects that we're doing um, if you want to check them out, please go uh, look at the links in the bio, halfmonstergames.com. Go support their Kickstarter um, at this time of release. It should still be out, I think. And uh, go donate. They're, they, I tell you to donate. I tell you to support and pledge their Kickstarter. Uh, not for their benefit, but for yours, because they're releasing an awesome game called Animal World War. It's anthropomorphized animals, uh, animal kingdoms, herbivores versus carnivores, and they are... Uh, they're fighting in a World War One esque aesthetic. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I actually really enjoy playing that game. Uh, I'm not a huge board game guy, uh, but that one is heaps of fun. Very easy to learn. So, without much further ado, I'm going to take this into the conversation. Uh, thank you for listening. If you're interested, check out thepuzzlemaker.com. Uh, here is Jack Ford Morgan. Jack, welcome. Welcome to another episode of Fictional Reality. I think this is the second or maybe third time you've been on the show. I think it's the third time. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, and it's the first time we've done it uh, sitting down and recording, not in like a cafe or a bar or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a bit more of a formal situation uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in COVID conditions. So thanks for coming on again. Uh, this is my attempt to make it look like a little bit more of an authentic uh, real hunky dory podcast. So just tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, and what you do. Plug your wares. Right. Uh, yeah. So my name is Jack Ford Morgan, and I'm uh, one of the directors of Half Monster Games. And we make uh, board games and card games and live action role play games and mega games and all sorts of games. Uh, <laughs> and we've also run a couple of successful Kickstarters, and we're looking at starting to do some publishing and stuff as well. Awesome. And you've recently, your first Kickstarter that you went, uh, that you launched, uh, went well. And then your second Kickstarter went really, really well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, um, just start with the first one, but go into a bit more detail on, um, on the second one. Yeah. So the first one was for Animal Empire, which was a sort of like animals fighting each other, medieval style kind of card game, um, which went pretty well. And I think that sort of established us on the platform. And then um, our next game was Trust Me, I'm a Doctor, uh, which is all about being doctors in the 1800s and trying to cure stuff like blood ghosts and plague with amputations and cocaine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was sort of, and it came out just as the kind of COVID was becoming a big deal and sort of um, everyone was getting more knowledgeable about it. So, mm. yeah, and I... I think just the timing and also the concepts and the way that we ran the campaign was a bit more, yeah, it was with a bit more experience. So we did sort of like 10 times as well as we'd done on the previous one, which was nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Could you share with us um, the goal you set and the goal you ended up eventually hitting? 
Um, so for the first Kickstarter, we wanted like 6,000. We ended up with like 8,000 Australian. And for the next one, it was, we wanted only like 5,000 because it was sort of a bit of a smaller scope game, but we ended up with 65,000. So yeah, which has all finally come in as well. Thank God there was a payment delay <laughs> due to everything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but it was, we were just really extremely surprised um because yeah i mean yeah yeah it's a more of a goofy game kind of gruesome kind of mm. weird and but yeah and it's people a bit, seem to really like it, it it's easy it's like from a marketing point of view it's it's super accessible like you can explain it really quickly and the the, the imagery itself tells you a lot about what the game is anyway like um yeah i think it was much more like focus i guess and mm. the potential audience was bigger as well um and I learned a lot more about like communicating what the game was to people. Mm. So we had a video for that one, which was really good. And the actual kind of um, layout of the Kickstarter page and the way I presented all the information was like in unit, like as if you were already playing the game, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it right. Really, it was like a, I tried to make it like a funny experience with these little characters arguing with each other mm. as they like, told you about the game and demonstrated how to play. And I think, yeah, that helps. And also um, we did a lot more um, sort of getting people to look at the page before it launched. So I made something like 40 or 50 changes, even just to specific words Mm. based on feedback because people were like, oh, if I read that, I might hesitate on buying the game. Mm. So I was like, how about now? And they were like, yep. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if we got more eyes on the game this time compared to last time, but we definitely would have gotten a much higher conversion rate just yep. going through that process of involving people in editing and setting up the campaign at first. Yeah, right. And getting feedback and finding out what sort of does and doesn't work. Um, yeah, which, which is... I'm usually terrible at, but... <laughs> Look, it's, <laughs> it's not... Time. It's so crucial to do. And like, this has come up a lot in um, a bunch of the episodes that I've talked about, about like not only the mm. importance of like play testing or maybe the, the sort of experiences or the, the design that you put into the games, essentially there needs to be that sort of design put into marketing the games as well. Like you, yeah. when you give someone yeah. a game, you want them to be able to play it quickly and when you know when you're designing it you want to get feedback on it so when you're marketing the game to the public you also want them the public to understand quickly what it is you're selling and you need that feedback feedback to know all of the things that you just are physically unable to sort of see or comprehend from the design perspective and i think um one thing that you can like that really taught me a lot about sort of asking people even during the development stage of a promotional thing Mm. because I think normally we'd think about sort of like ads and promotion as something you do in the background, you get it all ready and then you release it and Mm. then that attract people. And then, um, but you can sort of involve people in your marketing and promotion, even while you're building the ship, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Waiting until the end. So that taught me a huge thing. So now like when I post something, I ask people, I'm like, Hey, like, what do you think? Like, is this interesting? Mm-hmm. Would, would you want to click this and a lot of the time the answer is no and that's really <laughs> handy to know beforehand <laughs> yeah right and, I can, and then yeah so um yeah so what, uh, one thing i've inside i've got is that especially with social media posts putting like a little like entertaining snippet of whatever like story or game or whatever we want to put in as like a little dialogue conversation mm. sort of helps attract people more than just being like this game is blah. Yeah. I've sense. been noticing that with animal world war, um, that yeah, it's really, you. it's character driven. And a lot of the marketing I'm mm. seeing is it looks, this is my perspective, or this is what it looks like is that your artist is coming back to you with sort of like, Oh, here's a mock-up or here's an initial design. It's awesome. It looks great. And then you sort of update us on, Hey, we got some new art, but more mm. than that, you add the character element to it. Like there's, there's a part of a narrative there, which yeah, I read it's engaging. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's like, it's helping us see, cause we are planning to do the Kickstarter at the end of July. And so cool. it's really helping show what kinds of things people like to read in terms of this game as well. 
mm. so that we don't just get to launch day and then and then have to like find out if people like certain things yeah right and that i i was talking to um i was gonna i don't think you know him paul paul adams um oh, sounds familiar but mm. yeah. oh i i know what i'm thinking you've seen him in in a show i was in but maybe that's it oh, okay um there's <laughs> an Irishman on the stage very far away. <laughs> yeah. Um and yeah, we were just talking about the in the entrepreneur world, the thing of like document, don't create of just like if you your mm. marketing is actually just you showing people what you're building and documenting how you're creating things. And that is marketing the product. And if you don't have to yeah. make like a a whole separate marketing campaign that doesn't show any of the behind the scenes stuff, but the two things can actually work mm. quite well in tandem with each I other. Mean, the one thing we have is small businesses and sole traders and stuff is the behind the scenes thing. Mm. You know, it's, it's very easy for us to do that um, while we're doing it. Whereas if you have a big company like Coke or whatever, if they want to do a behind the scenes thing, like, it's a multi-million dollar kind of endeavor. Yeah. They're like, okay, like you're working. Yeah. While you're working. <laughs> they just hire <laughs> actors to fill out the factory and stand at these automated machines. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Pretend to pull levers. We're here at the Coca-Cola factory today working hard. Yeah, that's right. And everyone's like ultra attractive. <laughs> yeah. They're like, wait a second. Wait a Why did that guy not have any sleeves? <laughs> Yeah. I'm just pulling this lever. <laughs> I just pulled a lever. That's my job. <laughs> and that's something I learned from you um, when I was when I was changing oh, yeah. my brand over from the Brisbane Treasure Hunt Society to the uh, puzzle, the Puzzle Maker. That mm. people love being asked what they think, and people love finding errors and stuff. Yes. And um, <laughs> you could just and so it was really yeah. great to like be like, hey everyone, I'm thinking I'm designing a new logo which ones do you like a b or c and people like that comment thread went to like a hundred comments and i would reply to each one and just people people giving their two cents of like questions or or like voting and stuff like that Mm. if you can get into it yeah and you know if i'm honest i i was like this I did have the question to myself of like, oh, I'm unsure, but I was leaning to like this one was the clear yeah. winner in my opinion. Yeah. And so it was fascinating to go cool and purposefully sort of go, I'm going to put mm. this to Facebook and just like play around with marketing my own brand um, as the form of like a person who yeah. is unsure and wants feedback. Well, it's a good way to get confirmation confirmation of your opinion as well. Yeah, like absolutely. Owner, and other times you're like, oh, like 99% sure. And, you know, it's just fun. It's fun to be involved, I think, for people. Although um, it, it works in the other direction when um, you put a post up yeah. and you're like, you like one option and then the public opinion goes the other option and you're like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's happened to me, yeah. I sort of thought, like, it's like you're always going to get criticism no matter what you do, but whether it's criticism or feedback, just depends on whether you ask or not. <laughs> so you may as well just ask people for feedback. You're going to get it anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, with some people now, I've um, when I give them puzzles, I don't say, hey, would you play this puzzle? I, I say, hey, I think there's some errors in this. Can you find the errors? Ah, and just, nice. <laughs> they jump on it straight away. They're like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Yeah. I'm like, yes, it's like I'm getting free editing, paying for free editing. Uh, yeah, maybe it's the appeal of those like roast me kind of threads and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and people love that. Well, as Paul said, people love helping and they also love being right. Yeah. So give yeah, them the chance true. to do that. Make a game about being right, James. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, There's a great quote I want to use. I don't know where I want to use it, but uh, yeah. it, it was when I, was, I had a fight with someone once and uh, it was, it's better to be right than kind. And yeah. I'm reminded of it so often. Yeah. Just forehead tattoo, James. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got enough space up yeah. here as well. I could probably do it in quite a large <laughs> font. <laughs> yeah, it's better to be Pretty right than point. kind. Yeah. Um, do, do you agree with that? Well, no, I don't. I think it's my, it's a facetious mm. um, quote because that, that's yeah. how I felt that person felt. It's like, sure. yeah, yeah, why be kind when you can just be right about something and, I, I believe the opposite. 
Yeah, would you rather be wrong but have friends or right and be alone? Like, it's never that much of a dichotomy, like, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, when it when I think of an instance of, like, if someone is like, hey, do you like my... Um, do you like this thing that I've made that I really love? Uh, I, w- I would rather be kind than be right. Uh, if mm. they love it, you know? And that's just me. Like there's a perfectly good reason to not be that way and to be right and tell them that it's shit and uh, that, that you hate it. Mm. But uh, th- that's not necessarily me. You know, he gives excellent feedback is Alison Myers, a mutual friend who does the graphic design. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, she gave me feedback on one of the games I was designing and she had it like, she was like, like positives, pain points and like, it wasn't like suggestions, but it was like just like reflections or something. Okay. So that, and that was really good because I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like it's, yeah, it's like the one-two punch of like nice criticism nice or something but yeah yeah the compliment sandwich yeah i love that sandwich it works (laughs) it's a tasty sandwich (laughs) yeah 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 um and she presented it in like a really visual way as well so it was like because i think like as people were sort of primed to if someone says something to us it's a lot easier to get defensive than if it's sort of laid out nicely and you can be like oh okay Mm. That hurts my feelings, but no, look at all these nice things. And, um, <laughs> ah, but the nice things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always and, find okay. it's super useful when people, and I try and like structure my feedback this way of like, well, what is your intention? And finding out the person's intention and then speaking to the intention. Like um, someone says, uh, uh, I've designed... Yeah. I've designed a business card. What do you think of it? And it's like, well, do you want this business card to get you business? Who's your customer? And they say, look, it's investment bankers and I want them to come to me as like a financial advisor. And then so you go, cool. Well, in that context, this is what I think. Um, That's a a really good idea, James. It's really cool. It's what what I appreciate. And the feedback I've always gotten is like, well, if you want to sell this, then this is where it needs work. But I can see what you're trying to achieve and, you know, maybe this did and this didn't work. So context is important. How about you? Do you, where do you sit on it's better to be right than kind? Um, I think that it depends. Yeah, it just depends on like, um, is it, important to be right in this context so for example like with you know everything happening in america right now like it's important to be right so we should be unkind to you know (laughs) well that's yeah that's a super interesting but if it's like you know if someone makes a birthday cake and it looks and tastes shit (laughs) then it's more important to be kind because it's like "Mm, that's a good attempt (laughs) also then you don't have to bake the cake yourself you know what i mean (laughs) <laughs> it's all about strategy yeah and i definitely think that there's two ends of that spectrum then there's like you know like assholes <laughs> mm. who uh i don't know like people who just value that kind of like you know thinking like yeah legit being right is more important than being kind like it's hard to see that getting out of control mm. but if you think it's more important to be kind than it is to be wrong then that's where you get into herd mentality and like like that can really explode out to like, you know, letting bullying happen or letting. Yeah. Yeah. And then you become like a bystander. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a, yeah. Whereas just, going the other way is just sort of isolates those individuals that think that way, I guess. Yeah. Well, and in that, in that end of the spectrum, you know, if someone comes to you with like a vitriolic or, or bigoted opinion, then yeah shooting them down like let's say the goal then it depends on what your goal is if your goal is to be heard by this person um or to like actually communicate with them about this bigotry um then being kind is important to me but in a way to facilitate well what's right um which is to not be bigoted and yeah 
Be right, but do it kindly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good answer too. It's better to be yeah, kind than right. It's like <laughs> yeah, right. It's like why not both? You can just be both. Yeah. Mm. Um. So moving back onto uh, what is this? Experience design. Where are we? <laughs> <laughs> We're going deep, deep into into political James, philosophy. Put a lemon today. <laughs> um although i'm enjoying this actually some a one element of what i've been wanting to do just for my own practice with this podcast is to become just a bit more like conversational and not so like so and have this like tone about me um Hmm. but i find that difficult oh thank you i think depends how much editing you want to do afterwards (laughs) that's the thing i don't do any editing so oh there you go i just like putting it out there well people write like stream of consciousness books and stuff like that they're like, wake up, man, egg. So <laughs> Put on a little makeup. Outside. Yeah, yeah. My mom tried, told me when she tried to read a book that was written like that and she just wanted to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're those books that, that, like, there's barriers to entry for them for sure. It's like you have to know yeah. what the point is before you yeah, get into them. Yeah, and there was no punctuation, James. It was just, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> just one long sentence. Hmm. How is this famous? <laughs> I work so hard, James, and I'm not that famous. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, well, I do actually. I want to ask you about that. So, um, in this COVID time, I have been I've been really like I've taken it as I've been talking to you in the past about like I've oh. been stepping back, taking a look at like doing market research. I guess looking at what everyone else is doing which yeah. has been so good. Like I've been playing other people's puzzles and looking at other people's, the way they're marketing, the things that I want to be yeah. doing. And of course, with that comes the two, the painful but illuminating um, experience of there's so much stuff out there that's of a quality that I'm not at. I can't do that. I can't make this. Yeah. Um, other people are doing it. And then there's a thing of like, wow, it's cool. Look at what everyone else is doing. This is like lifting, lifting me up. Yeah. Um, It's like dating and elating at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. What's your experience with that? And like, how do you, Yeah. what do you do? Oh man. Like I, I so fear like the appearance of being like arrogant or whatever, but I just, I, I struggle to find like to do like that kind of market research playing games and stuff you know what mm-hmm. i mean because mm-hmm. at least in the games world like i sort of i'm at a stage where like i, I sort of know what i need to work on and the limitations that i'm working within mm-hmm. so the idea of sort of playing like um so something like scythe or gloomhaven or something like that when i know that i couldn't like even play in that ballpark in terms of design at the moment, in terms of mm. scale and complexity of components and stuff like that. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I just find it really hard to, um, consume other people's stuff in a way that's meant to be for my own learning. Right. When I could use that time to just keep practicing my own skills and sharpening them. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, which I, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of like, it sounds, I don't know if it sounds bad or not, but I think I'm just at a stage where I feel like, yeah, just, um, yeah, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to make stuff and I have a bit of a like plan for the skills and complexity and stuff that I want to do. And I'm like tackling mm-hmm. that learning as I, as I do it and as I make the mistakes and I find that more valuable, I guess. Yeah. Right. At least thus far. So, yeah. Well, and to me, it sounds like you're, you're on your journey with it. And I I was speaking to someone, um, Rita from a company called post curious just earlier today. And we were just talking about how, when you know your own strengths, then you can apply them. And, uh, Mm. to me, from what I hear when you just say that is that, you know, you know where you want to grow and what you want to build and you have an idea of the the product you want to develop. So you don't necessarily need to go and see what else is out there and find where you fit in. Um, because that's, that, that's a bit of a pointless endeavor if you're already just creating your own place in the world anyway. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess so. Like, I feel, I, I know it's a, it's a personality sort of, like, it's not the best element of my personality, but I struggle to learn from, being, like, unless I've experienced it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah until I hit the same design challenge, it's tricky for me to be like, ah, oh, this is cool. <laughs> see why you do it. I, I don't know, yeah. It's tricky yeah. to describe. But well, I'm sure you've encountered it as well, working with me. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> what <laughs> we'll do it my way <laughs> and then like the next day i'm like actually that was the better way sorry <laughs> well you also have the like it's cool because you have the confidence to it to do it as well and I, what i think it gives you is uh i'm just sort of blowing smoke up your ass a bit but um oh, that's, is, nice. that's how you get repeat appearances <laughs> <laughs> well look it helps you be a creator and you're out there making stuff and uh that's what that's why you you can churn out stuff is because you you don't necessarily agonize over oh well what's this person who's played this game gonna think of my game because they're you know it's like yeah it may be helpful it may not be helpful but you don't necessarily need it for your process it's been weird because like i think there's a lot of people that like their focus or their goal is to make the perfect game or whatever or like the right. best possible game um whereas my goal has always been a bit more distributed like i'm trying to build a business and i'm trying to keep people employed and you know support local artists and stuff and mm-hmm. um like make the best possible game i can but that's one of sort of three or four primary objectives whenever mm-hmm. i'm doing a project does that make sense yeah and over time like the quality of the games is increasing because we're finding people that can help with those other things. So like when I'm making a game, like maybe it would be best if it had like eight boards or something and it weighed like 20 kilograms or whatever, Mm. but I just can't do that. So it's not going to be the best possible game it could be, Mm. Um, but it is going to be something that is manufacturable and profitable, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And then, um, but yeah, like now that we've got people who can go like focus on like, well, we could do that many boards. Um, I will go and find the best quote for that or whatever. Mm. Then I can just focus more on the gameplay. And it's the same with like marketing and um, yeah, like going to markets and stuff. And also like in terms of the um, like the events that we were doing, like at the Goma and stuff like that, like that's going to be when that is like someone else's responsibility to set those things up it leaves more time yeah and yeah so each of the pillars is is like strengthened rather than sort of having to be as many compromises yeah right and then you're free to do what you do best yeah yeah and i think if when i interact with pure design communities like that's their main focus is like the design it gets a bit challenging sometimes to be like okay yeah but i made that decision because we can't have eight dice in the game or whatever. And <laughs> yeah, like, right. Oh, that would have been best for the game. And I'm like, you know, and yeah, I had some sort of, a, sort of not the right, not the best choice in that particular category, but it mm. was overall, I feel, a better choice. Well, yeah. and that's something that I love about being a sort of like soul trader or like entrepreneur or whatever. Um, as well as like in experience design is that whole picture of like, yeah, I'm creating an experience, but I also want to sell it at the market. So that, that factor where I'm going to sell it, who is going to buy it, how much it's going to cost that all has to play into the design I'm making myself. And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't, then all I have is I'll have a prototype or I'll have an idea that, I'll need Mattel to support before it can actually ever be created mm. in some sellable yeah. way. I love how you do that. Like, I've, yeah, all the stuff you make for your stall is so cool and so incredible. And like this, the, the drawer one you did as well, so you can just drop it off at someone's house and they do the puzzle and then they pick it up. And it's just like such a good idea. It's like can, can restraints so often make a better thing in the end, if you know what I mean. Yeah. People ask me like a lot, like how do I just churn out this many games? And people are like another Kickstarter, what the fuck? And I'm like, well, like <laughs> I'm operating in these like quite tight, you know, circumstances. So like mm. keep the business going. We 
have to do another crowdfunding thing yeah. within this yeah. amount of time. <laughs> and so yeah, the right. scale and complexity of this game needs to be capped at this so that you know there's enough time to test and iterate and manufacture and stuff. So mm. yeah, it's like, yeah, it's sort of like, it's just interesting how these challenges, um, I think, lead to creativity in a way. I think yeah. so. Like Do you think blowing my own horn? But no, I'm no. Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting how those things impact, I guess. And do you think that those the, those constraints actually some they help by making decisions for you? Where oh yeah, definitely yeah yeah yeah. So in terms of like experience design, like with the Goma, with doing so like doing the the heist that we did together, it was really kind of interesting because so many of the gameplay kind of things where you're like wandering around being spies and trying not to be seen was because we didn't have permission to actually do it in Goma. And right. so if we were going to be playing the game, people needed to be like completely not letting anyone inside know that something was happening <laughs> so we wouldn't get in trouble. Exactly. And they needed to come outside of the gallery to interact with us. Yeah. So yeah. like those were the two things. Like Goma can't know <laughs> that we're doing it in there. We eventually sorted it all out. Sorry, Goma, if you're listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we didn't expect it to be that many people. Anyway, yeah, so that's sort of, those decisions were made for us. Like it had to be like complete secrecy inside, except for yeah. like talking to people quietly. Mm. Um, and then they have to come outside to do the actual, you know, changes overs or whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And we couldn't have weapon cards or anything and stuff like that. So becomes so yeah, e- it, yeah. That's where it, it becomes easy, and uh, it's bringing to mind like maybe I'm thinking of a movie. I'm thinking of something, but I, I'm not sure what it is, but where the first one was awesome because it was made under these like really creative constraints. And then when they're given all this money to do whatever they want, Oh my God. Yeah. It's yeah. not good. Like the sequel yeah, isn't as like, good. Basically every movie with a sequel. <laughs> yeah, right. Every successful basically. like indie yeah. movie that makes a yeah. sequel falls prey yeah. because it, I think it worked for like Lord of the Rings or whatever, because they knew the budget for the trilogy. And right. so then they were like, oh, okay, well, we'll spread it out and do this kind of thing. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like one movie, I think, what's a really good example of that? Um, like, for example, I'm really glad they didn't do a Fifth Element sequel. Right. The first one was so good and the yep. budget was so crap. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know what it did? What is the franchise that this happened with is the Saw franchise. Uh, yeah, the first one was so creative because they just yep. had nothing to work with. And I think it was like they had, I'll have to check this. I don't know how true this is, but they had like two grand or 10 grand or something, or they spent a thousand dollars on a short and then got like, you know, this piddly amount to make the full movie. Um, And so all of those constraints are really easily seen. It's like, yeah, all the cool elements of the film are done. It's like, what can we do inside the room? Well, we can hide stuff and we can make it a mystery. Mm. And so the second ones that get, you know, they have infinite budget. You just get these like crazy, like Uh, like carnival-esque murder mansions. Yeah. That have these contrapments in them that are just like impossible to build. I think that creates a distance between the audience and the, and the participants as well. Cause you're just like, Oh, this could never happen. Mm. But with Saw and like a lot of like, and then like Hostel and stuff like that. It's like this, I mean, you can pretty much imagine someone converting any basement anywhere into some, like, horrible, you know, <laughs> Sawyer and leg off challenge. Yeah. But, yeah, it would be very difficult to make a murder mansion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, they, they've done that and monetized it and called them escape rooms, so. Yeah, do you think that escape rooms have, like, come out of, like, the Saw movies? I would that- have to fact check oh, that. But they... Because the, the the first few escape rooms originated in, I want to say Philippines or Vietnam, um, somewhere in Southeast Asia. No way. Yeah, yeah, and cool. I am pretty sure that if if they weren't inspired by the movie Saw, Saw at least popularized the concept. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and really most of all of them. Cool. Oh, damn. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I can't tell if the original 
creators of the concept would have been like, yes, or would have been like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, well, it hopefully, it feels like to me that Saw came first and then Escape Rooms came after, but that's just my own feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nonetheless, the, the what they're calling Gen 1 Escape Rooms are mm-hmm. pretty much, they all follow that theme of like, you're trapped in the basement and someone's trying to kill you. So get out if you can. Ah, okay. Interesting. And it's only as they've evolved that they've started to take on like different genres and themes and and whatnot. So yeah, experiential kind of stuff. The fascinating thing is that you could have made an escape room in the 1800s or the 1900s as a game, Mm. but they've only emerged (laughs) post video game culture somehow. I guess back then they had, they were called dungeons and you got into them by pissing off the, <laughs> and you couldn't get out until you died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, maybe you could get out, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've uh it's like, you know, we don't have the Coliseum ripping uh people apart by lines anymore, but we have football stadiums. Mm. So uh escape rooms are like being trapped in a dungeon, but you know, they're the PG yeah. uh 2020 version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great, like if more of these because obviously something happened with the economics. So now escape rooms are like possible to do mm. as like a business. And essentially it's like putting yourself in a movie or a TV series. You know what I mean? Like immersing yourself in a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if that'll spread to like other concepts and stuff. Like, you know how there are movies uh, and they do that. Yeah. Like, you know, like survivor in a way is for a small group of people to pretend they've crashed on a, on an island. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's like a, you know, like a plane crash one or something. You know what I mean? Like you, mm. and that you're on a plane crashing, or <laughs> well, they actually strap you on a plane and safely crash it into a beach. Who knows? Something like that. Yeah. Like, I guess theme parks are all about simulating that kind of. Mm. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. My my hypothesis is that. Um, so it's like a, an evolution of storytelling and we mm. had storytelling that was very um, second and third person storytelling through books and films. Yeah. And yeah, then video games came along yeah. and they created first person storytelling. And so video games paved the way for the audience member to identify themselves as the protagonist. Yeah. And then mm. after video games, you were able to sort of say, okay, you are the protagonist here is the the game. Here's the story. And people sort of went, I Uh understand what to do. I interact. And um, yeah. And so like at the moment, I think like there's very limited, like acting in escape rooms and stuff, essentially. Like it's all like environmental storytelling and maybe the person at the start, the facilitator will be like, Oh, welcome to prison. In you go. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if like, maybe it'll exist more broadly in the future. But um, currently, um, maybe if you're ultra rich, you can literally be like Hamlet or whatever. And there are these specialized companies that will like, re- you know, create this whole thing for you to feel as if you're part of something. Like, mm. well, does that make sense? Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I saw a video recently of a Bucks party um, yeah. that was organised for a friend. Yeah, and sorry, not my friend, but a the bucket organized it for his friend or whatever. And yeah. he wanted to give his best friend, um, like a day in the life of Rambo. And so he <laughs> cool. set up all of this stuff that was all opportunities mm. for this guy to reenact scenes from the Rambo movie, but yeah. in first person. Awesome. So essentially just what you, <laughs> you just said, wow. I, I saw a video of a guy doing this and I, I was talking to my friend Chris from Constructed Adventures who makes like personalized treasure hunts for people who want to propose to their partner. Yeah. And I think like there's a space for that in the world of like action hero adventure day, uh, pay us a thousand dollars and, uh, we will, we'll set you up as an action hero by the end of the day. You'll definitely. Yeah. Cause at the moment it's like, it's only very specific, like birthdays or box parties or like it's tied to some sort of celebration. Like it's a very one-off thing. And I'm like, at what point will you just be able to pay to pretend you're in an action movie for mm. a whole day? Like maybe mm. it'll cost you like $5,000 or something. 
but they have actors they have like explosions and like yeah you know, i'll screech up and pick you up and stuff like that and it's like because right now you can do those things but it's always tied to some kind of like group experience to justify the ticket cost yeah totally um yeah like cameron went to the to the south by southwest and um the west world thing where they had a whole town set up or whatever mm, mm-hmm. so yeah i'm like that must exist yeah like, or so, well you can be kidnapped james you can you pay to be kidnapped <laughs> why can't you pay you know be like <laughs> well, this, or something? this is the the world that uh i i sort of want to sort of try and create and that you and me yeah. in various ways have been interested in creating together as well with the um one shot one shot uh, western and the frontier and the goma uh, heist and that like we're sort of facilitating that experience and maybe we could focus on like yeah like making a really tight experience like imagine if okay so i don't know if this is the point of the podcast i'm sorry but no go for it the point is to have okay. fun <laughs> so maritime museum what if you could literally put someone in um, like someone pays and they are like Sean Connery on the bridge of the Red October or something. <laughs> it's like this, it's this whole experience, but just for one person. So it's not like a performance. It's not mm. a thing like that. I don't even know. I, I wouldn't even know what to call that. But yeah, it's like totally centered around this protagonist who's paid to be there. But it's like, you know, stuff happens and like. Well, I can tell you there is a company called Odyssey Works. And yeah. they specialize in immersive experiences for one person. And ah, the, st- yeah, yeah, yeah. the structure of their business is that they, you pay to be a part of the workshop to help develop yeah. this experience. So you pay like two grand each and there's like 12 people and you do this like one month long workshop. And in that workshop, um, oh. you develop an experience for someone. And so what Odyssey does is they gift the experience. You, the any person in the world Mm. can apply and go hey i want to be a part i want to be chosen one person gets chosen and then when you're chosen you give over all your information like um you know access to your family uh where you are in life you fill out this big essay about who you are and what you're looking for and then the the 12 people that get chosen to be a part of the workshop who are all like experienced designers or set designers or chefs or whatever they do this lifestyle retreat, which is actually a workshop designed to create an experience for one person that is designed to be life transformative. And I've read a few and they're like, they, they could last six months and they will just, a person will be given a book randomly and then they'll be like, you know, they'll end up going on this little path and mm-hmm. walk down a, 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 a alleyway or whatever and walk into a room that's then full of all this stuff happening and it's all just for them. And then two months later, they might be put on a plane and go to the middle of the country and do something else. So. Oh shit. Yeah. And people pay to be the designers. Yeah. 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 Cause I could see people paying to be that person, but the idea of paying to do that is interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting flip, isn't it? Of like, like, yeah. And the workshop is set up in a way of like, this will enhance your abilities. So the people are really, they want to be a part of it. They want to pay to be there. But I did love that idea that the experience is is a gift. The person who receives it, um, they Mm. get it for free. It's like blowing my mind. Yeah. What is everyone's motivations? But I guess, yeah, if it's sort of like a resume thing or they just like doing nice stuff. But then again, it's so expensive. But it's so exclusive that maybe like people that have a lot of resources do it. Yeah. But and it's, it's a, it's a net, it's, there's networking and there's like, Oh, I, that's true. I was in, I was a designer in the Odyssey works. Oh, were you really interesting? Mm, so, interesting. um, but there's people out there doing it and it is happening. Um, and yet at the same time, the thing that isn't happening is like, I guess, the idealized version I see is you put a dollar into a machine and then you're a part of this immersive experience for the next hour. That's all about you type thing, you know, like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. That would be so cool. That's the thing is like, how do you provide an experience that people will enjoy at a very personal level, but without paying 
heaps of attention to that one person <laughs> and what they like. You know what I mean? And I agree. And I think it's, it can yeah. be done. I just, it's a, it's a really fun puzzle to try and solve because yeah. Cause it's like a crowd. You're like, ah, well, like at least some of them will enjoy it. And then their friends will just be there enjoying the fact that their friends are enjoying it. But I mean, but boom. But yeah. Mm. But to focus yeah. it, I don't know. That's what the wake up experience was designed to do. Um, yeah. It was so cool. And so like tuned. It was <laughs> and it was pr- relatively, it was pretty low on cost. Like it didn't cost a lot, mm. but, um, but yeah, I felt the limitations there. The biggest one being people just constantly being like, yeah, this is cool, but you got to get their permission. And it's like, it doesn't work if I get their permission. And, <laughs> and like, I, I agreed, like you were chosen specifically because I sort of, I know you. And, yeah. Oh um, yeah. You know, I'd be into it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But, uh, but that was that sort of thing. Like, can I, can you design sort of like a product that, gives someone an experience that they consent mm. and pay for, but at the same time don't really know when it's going to start or what it's going to be. That's very interesting. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> huh. um, well, let's, let's wrap this up because we're into about the hour mark, which is great. Oh, awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you for sharing your sort of process. If anyone else is interested in designing a, so your experiences, uh, tabletop games, is that fair to say? Yeah. Tabletop games. Um, yeah. and like, uh, immersive public role-playing games. I don't know how to describe them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's pretty yeah. apt. Um, so for anyone listening at home, check the link or look at the link in the bio there. Half monster games. Um, they make and I've been involved, lucky enough to be involved and um, help uh, develop some of these experiences. One of them, the, probably the most fun one, was the One Shot Western Convention LARP game. Um, I'm so keen to do it again. Me too. Um, if we don't all get full of disease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they lift interstate travel. Uh, to people listening at home, what it is is we sort of activated and gamified an entire convention space mm-hmm. um, with a really simple mechanic. We were dressed up as cowboys and we had a, like a mm-hmm. base and we would give people gold coins and a, a fake gun. They didn't even have to use the gun yeah. and a red bandana. Uh, yeah. And it, all they had to do was go and try and get gold coins off people by holding them up um, like in a yeah. classic Western. Or find them at little treasure spots at different stalls. Yep. Yeah, you could go and discover them. You could play. And the thing, it really evolved over the convention, which was so sick to see. Yeah. Like a um, combat treasure hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was yeah. awesome. It developed into its own little town. It had a cult following. And um, mm. yeah, I urge you to check them out. Follow them on social media because those are really fun and um, they're, they're fun to be a part of. We were going to do the frontier, but uh, life got in the way of that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Yet again. We'll, uh, we'll get back to it. We'll, we'll, we'll get find it down for like a single pussy. <laughs> yeah. I only said a different one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So Jack, any yeah. any tips or tricks for people out there looking to design experiences and uh, and games? Where would, where should they go? Um. Yeah. Like, don't be afraid of starting if you have a whole bunch of like restraints on you because that's kind of cool and you can use those like make them features not drawbacks if that Mm -hmm. makes sense yeah um also if you're making a kickstarter campaign i would recommend just finding the most successful kickstarter campaign that's sort of at the same scale of whatever you're creating and just like sort of use that as really heavy inspiration yeah because likely they know what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and with like i guess immersive design um God, I don't know. I just I find it hard to like quantify all the stuff that we've learned together, I guess. But I mean, just, just try stuff and ask your friends to play through it and see if they like it. And they'll tell you what needs to change, I guess, you know, bit by bit. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's yeah. super. Don't let, um, and like you alluded to it earlier, don't let, don't let the fear of it not being perfect stop you from trying and putting it out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like people who are like, oh, I don't want anyone to read it because it's not done yet. And it's like, 
like fair, but like mm. you know, you may as well just show people. Because... May as well show people, and it's like because you know what, it's gonna suck when it's done, and people go, "This needs work. <laughs> this needs a lot of work. Why are you giving this to me?" It's like, but. It, it was the best uh, best I could do. It's like, uh, you should have given done. me this when it was in its shittiest <laughs> stage so I could have helped you make it better. You piece of shit. God damn it. Get out of here. That was just shit and you're out of energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your best is not good enough and now you know it as a fact, you piece of crap. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you should do a motivational channel, Dan. <laughs> this, this is my fatherhood. This is how I will father my children. All right, yeah. <laughs> It's called the re- I regret trying uh, yeah. method. <laughs> well, here's my advice: if you you're pieces of crap, and you may as well smell the worst. <laughs> <laughs> your piece of crap, just do your best to stink the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you once again, Jack. This has been a really fun conversation, and yeah, uh, thanks, yeah thanks for supporting my podcast. We'll, we'll <clears throat> you no doubt you'll be on again soon. Yes. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. All right, everyone, thank you for joining me on another episode of Fictional Reality. That was Half Monster Games. Uh, So if you would like to know more, head to their website, halfmonstergames.com. They are making some really cool stuff, and they're a great group of people to work with, very community-orientated and very inclusive. So really, really proud to have Jack, um, Jack and Callan as, as my friends in that and the rest of the team. So hello, if you're listening. All right. Next up, I have, uh, two weeks from now, I have Ben from Mystery City Games. This is a immersive treasure hunt, mystery puzzle adventure, historically accurate company over in Amsterdam. They were running, I say were, uh, just because we're coming out of COVID and, uh, I I hope he's back up running in real IRL tours again, but they're essentially puzzle-driven sort of historical adventures around the town. So there's a little bit of a tour guide element, um, but there's also, it's an escape room. You you have to solve puzzles to get into the box uh, around his home city of Amsterdam. So it's a great conversation. Uh, He's actually, he created a really interesting innovation uh, called Death in the Red Light. It's a PDF, interactive PDF mystery. Uh, I found it really inspiring. I love talking to him. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Do all the subscribing stuff. Thank you, and we'll see you again next time. <laughs>